Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20. This past week, we've been able to gather with friends and family members. Uh, we've been able to celebrate the birth of Christ. And again, what an amazing event to think of God in all of his fullness dwelling in a man named Jesus. I mean, God came to earth. That's what we've celebrated this week. God loved us so much, as John chapter 3 says, He loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son on our behalf. And I pray that this week you have experienced that sense of joy and excitement and celebration because of what God has done, how He has loved you, and how He has demonstrated that love through the supreme example of sending His one and only Son. It was a great celebration, I know, at my household, for my kids and for my family, and I hope and pray that it was for you as well. But you know, one of the things that we have to also step back and think about is that the good news of Jesus Christ is not complete with his birth. We are thankful, and we are amazed that God dwelt as a man here on this earth. But we're also thankful, we're also grateful because of the salvation that Jesus provided the ministry, the authoritative teaching, the sacrificial death, and that resurrection. That completes the good news of Jesus. And as we come to this weekend uh, after Christmas, I pray that we would focus for a few moments on that good news that he has given us and how God intentionally sent his son to die for us. Notice in Matthew chapter 20, you see Jesus going up to Jerusalem. The scripture says in verse 17 that as he goes up to Jerusalem, he takes the 12 disciples aside on the road and he says this to them. So read along with me, if you will. Verse 18. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. So here's Jesus, okay? He is about his ministry. He is about pouring himself into his disciples. He calls them aside. We're told in the scripture this is the third time that he calls them aside to let them know that he is on a mission. He has a purpose. And that purpose is associated with suffering and death. But that purpose would be fulfilled as well in the resurrection. I want you to see that when you read Jesus' words, he understood the purpose and the mission of the Father. The Father had sent him. The Father had given him to the world, had given him to us in order to provide the salvation that was so desperately needed. And Jesus knew what he was doing. You know, Jesus' life, Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection... Those events did not occur by accident. Could you agree with me this morning? Those things did not occur coincidentally or accidentally. Those events occurred by the purpose and the, the ordained will of God the Father himself. God knew what he was doing. I love this when I read through Scripture. Just being able to see God knowing what he's doing at every moment, at every time, God knows that he is fulfilling his purpose and his plan. And that's what he's doing in Jesus' life. He is giving him this moment. He is providing for him 
this opportunity that will come that will eventually give to us all that is necessary for salvation. Here, Jesus himself speaks to his, to his disciples, and he says, we're going to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, the hotbed of hostility and conflict toward Jesus, okay? Jerusalem, the center of that hostility toward Jesus and his ministry. When you go to Jerusalem, you know that you're going to go up and you're going to face the religious leaders, okay? Jesus knows that. His disciples know that as well. There are even moments where they have said, Jesus, we ought to take a different route. We ought not to go to Jerusalem. We ought not to be in that kind of area. Let's do something else. They have suggested that to Jesus before. But now Jesus says, let's go to Jerusalem. We're going to go up. And, and you know what? This is what's going to occur. And you've got to look at the way he lays this out. Jesus lays this out so methodically, so appropriately. He says, there the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest, to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Isn't this exactly what happens in Jesus' life, by the way? He goes up, he goes before Caiaphas, he goes before Annas, he goes before all of the religious leadership, and they condemn him to death. But notice, Jesus outlines this process for us further. He says, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. He says, not only will they condemn me, but they will deliver me to the Gentiles. Why? Why did, they have, did Jesus have to go before the Gentiles? Because the Jewish, the Jewish authorities did not have the authority to condemn. They could condemn Jesus to death, but they could not carry out the death sentence. They had to have it sanctioned by the Romans, by the Gentiles. So here Jesus, notice, he's describing this process just as it will occur and just as it will be required. The religious leadership will condemn him. He'll go to the Gentiles. They will have to carry out the sentence. God fulfilling his purpose in Jesus' life. God sent his son to die. And God will fulfill that purpose in the appropriate manner at the appropriate time. Some things that I've thought about as I read through this passage. One... All of those who are participating in these events, they could not have fully comprehended how they were being used, willingly or unwillingly, in God's plan. They could not fully comprehend how God was using them to fulfill His purpose and His plan. So think about it with me, if you will, just a moment. Do you ever think that Caiaphas and Annas said to themselves, Hey, today we're here fulfilling... God the Father's plan by killing his son. No. Caiaphas and Annas, they were just hostile toward Jesus, his ministry. They were concerned about their power structure. They were not there thinking, we are instruments of God's divine will. How about the Sanhedrin, that ruling council when they condemned Jesus? No. How about, okay... If you move from the Jewish authorities and you think about the Gentiles who are involved, the Romans, do you think they were there like, we're fulfilling God's will? Ask Pilate. Pilate who condemns Jesus to death, who gives the official sanction for Jesus to go, 
and be crucified, Pilate? No. The Roman soldiers, as they're there crucifying, carrying out the very act of violence against what they believe to be a criminal Jesus. No. None of those individuals thought to themselves, I am fulfilling God's purpose and plan. But get this. Our God knew exactly what he was doing. And even if he were to take the violent act, even if he were to take individuals who were ignorant of God's plan and God's will, even if he were to take those, whatever he found necessary, he would accomplish his purpose and his will for his son and for us. Isn't that an awesome statement? I mean, isn't that an awesome realization that God can work in all kinds of different ways in order to fulfill his will and his purpose for us? It's probably one of the greatest truths that's at least made a difference in my life. Knowing that God can take all things and work them together for his good, for his glory. Probably one of the greatest truths that we can even think about as we get ready to enter a new year. Now, we know that there are so many things that are, that are challenging God and his kingdom these days. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at culture and you were to look at even some of the way we conduct ourselves, we would probably think, yeah, how is God's will being accomplished? How are we, how, how could these who have evil intent in any way accomplish God's purpose and plan? But my friends, we have a God that is so big and is so great that he can take anything and everything and redeem it according to his purpose and his plan and provide for us life and goodness, he can bring himself the glory that he so deserves. That is what is awesome. As you're thinking about this, as you're thinking, Jesus knows what he's doing. God knows his plan. All those who are around him, they may not understand it. They may not can comprehend it. But God has his plan that we, he will fulfill. Well, the cast of characters, the Jewish cast, the Gentile cast, they, they can't quite understand their role in what is going to be achieved here. But get this, even those who are closest to Jesus cannot fully comprehend it at this point either. I, I said to you, this is like the third time that Jesus has called his disciples aside and said, hey, guys, I, I want you to know that I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected the third time, but I want you to know. It was kind of like he was preparing them incrementally, preparing them for what was going to come. The first time he did it, back in chapter 16 of Matthew, it was right before the transfiguration. Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to die. And remember the spokesman for the group, Peter? What did Peter say? Peter said, no, Jesus, no, not on my watch, not going to happen. Nope, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to take care. No, you are not going to die. So many of us are like Peter, aren't we? 
I mean, Peter is known for taking his left foot and inserting it as far into his mouth as he could, right? We're, we're probably like that so many times in our lives and our ministry. I mean, we, no, no, you're not going to die, Jesus. It's not going to happen. Listen, they cannot even begin that God would send his son to die. Defies all reason. God, God wouldn't, the father would not do that. The second time Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die, it says basically that they're distressed, that they're somewhat sorrowful, but obviously they're still not comprehending it. Maybe they're just distressed that Jesus keeps talking about it and they are concerned about what's going to happen, but they just can't seem to get this idea that Jesus would have to die. And probably one of the most vivid responses is found in verse 20 of this chapter we've looked at. Because after Jesus calls them aside and he tells them that he's going to die, notice what takes place in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. Did you just get this? What? Jesus says, I'm about to die. I'll be resurrected. They're still concerned about the kingdom. And guess what? Two of the disciples have gone to get their mama to plead the case. I mean, you've got to kind of appreciate this, the way this happens. I mean, it says that James and John come with their mama, and their mama comes up to Jesus. The mama says, Jesus, God talked to you. just And Jesus looks at her and says, you know, it seemed like something was on your mind. I could tell when you were coming up here. What is it that you would want from me? Well, when you come into your kingdom, I mean, it's going to be a great kingdom. We know, we all understand what the kingdom's going to look like, great political structure and governmental structure that'll be there. And one of these days when you're there, I'm going to ask you, would you, would you just let James sit on one side of you and John sit on the other? I'd, I'd love to see my boys up there in the spotlight. I'd, I'd love to see them achieve some great things. And would you do that for a mama? Jesus. Now, it is funny because as you continue to read, in verse 24 it says, When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. I bet they were. Because the other ten were thinking to themselves, Why didn't we think of that? You know? Why didn't we go get our mamas? I mean, if anybody's going to plead our case, mama would plead the case for us, right? She's going to. Why didn't we think? They were displeased with these two. The Gospel of Mark records this event for us, and he doesn't tell us about the mama. He just cuts straight to the chase and says, James and John came and asked. Matthew, the tax collector, he says, I want to tell you exactly how it went down. It's funny to me that John doesn't record this event in his Gospel, by the way. Matthew says that they come, ask for privilege. Why? Because, again, they cannot understand, they cannot comprehend that Jesus would have to die, that God would send his son, that God would send his son with the purpose of dying. It made no sense whatsoever. 
And that's the reason Jesus tried to clarify his statement going to Jerusalem. Verse 22, Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? The cup is so often synonymous with the idea of suffering, especially in the Old Testament. When you hear the idea of the cup, it would be, it so often would be associated with this idea of suffering. And it says, are you really able to take the cup that I'm about to drink and to be baptized or immersed with the immersion that I'm about to be baptized with? They said to him, oh yeah, we're able. We got you, Jesus. We're, we, we can do this job. We're, we're telling you. You let us sit on either side and you push Peter out of the way, we can make this happen. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup. Be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those whom it is prepared by my Father. Jesus continued to talk to them and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever describes to you to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, get this, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, you don't understand. The kingdom that you're speaking of is not the kingdom I've come to usher in. The kingdom that you're thinking about, this great kingdom, political structure, that, that's not what I'm there for. It's not what I'm here for, he says. He says, I've come to serve. And the best way to serve is to provide my life as a ransom, a payment, a sacrifice for many. He says, God the Father sent me to die. You see, God was about, about fulfilling His purpose of the Son, even when those around, whether they be the Jewish establishment the Gentile rulers, or even his disciples. God was about fulfilling his purpose even if they could not understand it or fathom it. And I am so thankful that God the Father was committed to us in such a way to fulfill his purpose through his Son. You see, a few weeks ago I began a series of tough words to hear that Jesus would say. Jesus would speak words and he would challenge his disciples and would speak to them in some different ways. We, we've looked through so many of those. But I think some of the toughest words for us to process in our life just as it was for the disciples by the way some of the toughest words are those words that remind us that God sent his one and only son his one and only Son, to become the incarnate God, to become man that would allow the fullness of God to dwell here upon earth. And then for that man, Jesus, 
for that one and only son to be sent with the purpose of dying for us. It's pretty tough. I mean, I know many of us have been in the churches for years, and we've heard it for years, and we, and we know that, oh, we've understood it. And we're so... But think how tough that is to think that God the Father sent his one, not, not just to die, but notice Jesus says here that the Son of Man has come, and he's going to suffer and die. He's going to be crucified. Those are tough words to hear for his disciples and, yes, even for us today. Paul would speak about it in Philippians chapter 2 when he described the humiliation, the humbling of Jesus. They would take upon the form of a man that, and then that he would die. And, and Paul says it like this, even the death of the cross that he was so willing to fulfill the Father's purpose for us. And the Father was so willing to provide for us salvation that he was willing to give his one and only Son. And oh yeah, don't forget that Jesus never ceded any type of power and authority over this process or over these events. What do I mean by that? Jesus could have stopped this at any time. Right? Jesus is God. Notice here the intent. Notice here the purpose that he had. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem because I'm going to die. That was a voluntary statement. He was committed to the Father's will, no doubt. He was committed to the Father's purpose, no doubt. But he had determined in his heart and in his life that he would do what was necessary to provide the salvation of the world. And all throughout his ministry, all throughout his life, he never ceded the authority or the power. He simply submitted himself willingly to the purpose, what God had called him to. When he was there upon the cross and he was going through the horrific suffering that he did, in any moment, he could have called upon angels. He could have just spoken a word. But yet, he suffered and he died. Again, why? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. Because he loved you. Because he loved me. So I tell you, I have celebrated this week in so many ways around the cradle that God had come to earth and demonstrated his power in his life through Jesus Christ. But today as we come to this place, we not only gather around the cradle, we gather around the cross itself. The cross which was intended to be evil. The cross which was a symbol of torture and cru crucifixion. The cross that God now has redeemed because of his great power. 
to demonstrate life and forgiveness and sacrifice. Oh, and don't forget this part. Jesus knew he was going through the suffering. He knew he would go through the cross. But he also knew the third day would come. He also knew that one day he would live again. And that's what Jesus said. He said, third day, he will rise again. So today we gather around the cross and we remind ourselves of the sacrifice and the forgiveness that we have because we've had faith in him and trusted in him and he paid the ultimate price. We recognize those things. But we also come knowing that we serve a living God and that we have the life of Christ in us today. We have passed from death unto life because God sent his son on our behalf. And we celebrate that here in this place. I pray that you, that you have not only received the Christ of Christmas into your life, but I pray that you have received the Christ of the cross and the Christ of the resurrection, the Christ who has provided for us everything that is necessary for our sins to be washed away. And today... As we come to this place in a few moments to take of the Lord's Supper, I pray that God would powerfully speak to you and that he would encourage you, that he would remind you of the forgiveness that you have in him. God loved us so much that he sent his son for the purpose of dying. In a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation and commitment. It's going to be a moment of reflection for you. Prayer, commitment. I hope that you would take that moment before we come to the Lord's Supper. That you examine and reflect upon your life and who you are right now. Before we enter into this new year, the, the commitment that you need to make before Him. You can do it right where you are, right in the pew. But maybe today it's time for you just to come to this altar and pray. Seek Him. Would you hear God before we go into the Lord's Supper time? Would you respond to Him? Commit yourself to Him today here in this place. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We praise You. We are so thankful. We are so thankful that You loved us so much that You sent Your one and only Son for us. Today we celebrate the coming of Christ to this world. We celebrate the coming of salvation and life and forgiveness. And Father, here this morning, before we take of this supper, Lord, I pray that you will help us to examine our lives and commit ourselves to you in all things. Give us liberty, Lord, to bow where we are or make our way to the altar. Give us the freedom simply to deal with you during these moments. God, may we express our love to you and our commitment during this invitation. In Jesus' name.